and that song marks the start of another missile for the masses. I am your host, Gary, and this is the Chaplain's Assistance Motorpod, the podcast where I review a vehicle, playset, or even a trailer from the G.I. Joe, a real American hero toy line from 1982 to present day. I also take a moment every episode to discuss maybe what's going on in my life of collecting, be that current events, news, or even recent mail calls. And with all of that out of the way, let's begin. At this point, as I'm recording, it's the very end of Yojo June, and this episode will reflect the Yojo June uh, theme. However, I know how my life in collecting and in other areas is going, and I know how I edit. So I know this is probably going to be coming out very early in Cobra Convergence July. And this year is Cobra Convergence 7, and it is my first year as a presenter. And I have something really fun in the wings for that. But I wanted to get this episode out because I wanted to talk about a couple things that have happened at the end of June for Yojo June. Uh, The first news item, I would say, is the announcement of the latest Transformers G.I. Joe crossover toy, the Dreadnought Thunder Machine slash Soundwave, also coming with Zorana and Zartan. Now, I am really excited for this. I have known about this from a very good source for months, and I'm happy to see it finally coming to fruition. I'm going to be interested to see how Zorana has been remolded because we all know that Zorana is a ball neck and all the retro O-rings have been swivel necks. Again, that is one of my chief criticisms of the O-ring line. And the other thing that I'm excited for is the fact that maybe with a nice Zartan that I can play with, I don't need to have three vintage ones with intact O-rings anymore in my collection. Maybe I can get it down to two. Now, the news of this crossover toy came on the heels of a Hasbro roundtable discussion where it was basically said that the G.I. Joe team wasn't going to be pursuing any more three and three quarter O-ring figures. Not saying that the line was dead, but it was on indefinite hiatus. And don't quote me on that. There is an article on his tank. If you read that, you'll get the proper verbiage. But in essence, what Hasbro is saying is, They're really concentrating on the classified toy line because that's where the profit is. One of the things I discovered at Joe Fest with discussing, I want to say Joel from Order of Battle, was that the cost to produce a three and three quarter or four inch figure is mere pennies from a six inch figure. And from a business standpoint, where you have six inch figures selling like gangbusters, for the most part, even in a retail setting, I begrudgingly accept, you know, the business decision that Hasbro's making. 
My biggest pet peeve on this would be that with Hasbro having the IP and having the licenses, that they would now decide to sub out that, um, let's see, toy line to a third party. And obviously, Super 7 is the natural choice to be putting together a O-ring line. We know from interviews with Brian over there that Super 7 was interested in doing an O-ring toy line initially, but then were, but were immediately shot down by Hasbro. The reason why I would like to see Brian at Super, and Super 7 make these O-ring figures is because I know that while they would do the heavy hitters um, in part, you maybe we would finally get a new version to Snake Eyes. That would be nice. So this way, you know, you get a nice new plastic figure to play and display and also get characters that we've never seen before, like Mara from the Sunbow series. We, would, we could get Cool Breeze from the Marvel series, you know, and that would be something new and in addition to what we currently have. I would love to see an O-ring Pythona. And I really looked at uh, a modern, you know, four-inch collector's club Pythona today, and I really thought about spending the money. There's definitely things that Hasbro, with their G.I. Joe property, can still produce for the O-ring line for the collectors. I understand, as an O-ring guy myself, that I am no longer the target audience, and I'm okay with that, you know, but... There, there's options available. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Now, speaking of O-ring action figures, there is another new Kickstarter out for more O-ring figures. And this one is called In the Navy, colon, Action Figures. And this is on Kickstarter by Falcone. And these are three and three quarter inch O-ring action figures. And I would say they're essentially the basic army builder figure, but there are clearly some inspired designs. Um, the basic trooper, you know, looks like, let's say, grunt. You know, it looks good, has a nice head sculpt, and is, you know, you know, green with a brown web gear. It's a textured, you know, turtleneck. It's very um, first 13 inspired. And the only thing that I'm a little wavy on is so the initial offering for their initial crowdfunding goal of $21,000 is three sailors, the blue pants, the light blue shirt, and the, the white cover. You know, you have two Caucasian guys and, you know, one blonde, one brown hair. And then you have the African-American, you know, sailor. And then you get ketchup from the failed HasLab ketchup and mustard. And then the unlocks are you get mustard at $24,000 as a stretch goal. You get relish, $27,000 as a stretch goal. And then, and then it goes beyond there. You get a Navy SEAL at $42,000. And that is, let's picture like Leatherneck, but with a boonie hat. And the $50,000, $55,000, and $60,000, you get 
more Navy characters with life vests, much like Cutter. Well, Cutter was Coasty. And then after that, you start getting, now we're at $69,500, and you get somebody that looks quite inspired by Deep Six in the cartoon with a gray sweater and a white hat. And then at $79,000, you get somebody that looks a lot like Torpedo in a white T-shirt from the Sunbow cartoon. The big thing is I really like these figures. I really think it's pretty cool. They're in the same vein as Call Sign Longbow. They have swivel wrists, but they have that classic O-ring architecture and sculpt. It looks cool. I am right now, and this is kind of dangerous. Normally when I do a Kickstarter, I go in as soon as I discover it and I decide I like it, I go in. Because the initial unlocks I'm not really crazy about. I really want that torpedo. I really want that Navy SEAL. It's not... Um, I'm kind of waiting to see where they are towards the end of the Kickstarter. Um, I mean, it's interesting enough, you know, to check out. Um, I'm wait, Like I said, I'm waiting to throw my money in. At the, uh, at the end, I would like to get 10 figures, but I really don't want to have three copies of any character, maybe two. I'm not a real G.I. Joe or, let's say, good guy, multiple army builder figure. That's not my style of O-ring collecting. Back to G.I. Joe. Next up to talk about is the new Hasbro licensed comic book, Void Rivals, by Skybound Entertainment, published by Image Comics, written by Robert Kirkman, and art by Lorenzo De Felici with Matthias Lopez on colors. Now, normally I like to do full comic reviews and stuff on the podcast. However, this one is part of the new Energon universe. As I said last missile, it is I have a lot of faith in Robert Kirkman. I have he has done some very good parts. And what's going to stop me from doing this is this is kind of only tangentially related to GI Joe, so I'm just going to touch on the the big point. It is the the launch of a new universe. It is a new continuity. I am keeping an open mind for that. And this Void Rivals with the two characters, so Lila and Derek, they are essentially aliens, um, from at least from an Earth person's perspective. And, you know, they crash land on a rock. They're mortal enemies from different civilizations it's very romeo and juliet ish because we know one's a girl one's a boy and also it's a little bit like saga as mentioned on another podcast uh, anything joe's so there's some similar thematic elements it is a first issue so you're really only getting your feet wet you're only setting up the world the universe in this case as that the characters reside in and the big reveal at the end, and I'm going to spoil this because it's clearly on the cover of the second printing. That is a 
parody of a uh, book with Grover on the cover is they discover jet fire on this remote rock that they're stranded on. So other, in other words, it is a decent first issue. The one thing that I didn't, that didn't really get me is there's really not much of a hook for the second issue. There's definitely an open ending that makes you say, oh, well, what's going to happen issue two? There is a little bit of a story arc in the book. I know Kirkman is a guy who really knows the way to write for a trade. This felt like a good arc. The end reveal was not the strongest in my opinion, but it definitely makes for somebody who's read this book that they could potentially want to read the second issue, but it wasn't, let's just put it this way, the strongest ending for something that you're supposed to be launching this multiple property book. I wish him well. I'm sure it will do well. You know, the Skybound branding and Robert Kirkman's influence, you know, will bring new eyes to these properties. And I can't wait to see what's going on more. This was, like I said, it was an above average comic book, but, you know, it's nothing, you know, if I was to grade this on a scale of, you know, zero to five jet fires, you know, this is just like a three jet fire comic book, straight down, straight down to number three. I'm ending Yojo June by taking a look at the Triple T Tank. Came out in 1986, driven by the man himself, Sergeant Slaughter. My big initial takeaway from this this vehicle, this little one-man tank, is the way it's presented and the way I'm envisioning play with this is that this is a tip-of-the-spear vehicle. This is like the air chariot to Serpentor. This is the triple D tank is to Sergeant Slaughter. And by that, I mean that if I was to pick this up as a kid in 1986 or 1987, I would be buying this primarily for the Sergeant Slaughter action figure and not for the tank itself. And that's not to take anything away from the tank, but that Sergeant Slaughter's presence was so powerful in the 1980s as it related to the G.I. Joe brand, starting with a mail-away action figure where it said USA across his tank top and he had the Sergeant markings on his boots. He had the G.I. Joe logo across his thigh. Such a powerful character that I think this is a case where this is meant as a deluxe figure like Serpentor, but as I review the Triple T tank, I think it is better than that. But I think being paired with Sergeant Slaughter diminished the tank initially. One big reason why I chose the Triple T tank as my final vehicle to review for Yojo June 
is because I met Sergeant Slaughter, and he was so cool at Joe Fest. And before I start with the Triple T Tank, just a quick review on Sergeant Slaughter. He has that drill sergeant hat. He's got those silver glasses. He's got a brown mustache. He's got a black tank top with a gold whistle. He's got bare arms with, you know, wrist bands and, you know, thin black wristbands. He's got camouflage pants with a web belt, and he's got black combat boots on his feet. The typical paint rubs, silver paint. The, the whistle has a tendency to rub off paint. And, you know, the wrist bands also are commonly worn on them as well. He's a very active action figure because he captured the minds and hearts of kids everywhere. So finding him in decent condition can sometimes be a little bit of a chore, but it is possible. Um, But a lot of these action figures with him are very much played with, and that's a good sign. Um, He also came with one accessory, and that was be his baton. And with the gold paint on top and the brown wooden stick, his swagger stick, it is commonly lost. And even if you find one, the gold paint sometimes has um, damage to it as well. You know, chips fading and whatnot. Gold paint and silver paint in the G.I. Joe world was always not the most durable. You know, he's a strong figure. He's a great likeness, has that superhero build, that vibe. He's a taller than the other figures. He's just, it's a great figure. Touch base on his file card. His file name is classified, top secret. You know, he's an infantry drill instructor for his primary MOS and his secondary is survival trainer. He was place of birth is Paris Island, South Carolina. And he is a grade E7 or a sergeant. Before I read the rest of the card, it does read a lot like a card that Larry Hama did not write. All the Joes are super tough, and they've been through the roughest, most grueling training to become the most skillful specialists in the world. It takes a master of drill training to weld stiff-necked, tenderfoot Americans into the most stout and honorable positions in the mobile strike force. That master and heavy-duty headman is none other than Sergeant Slaughter, the extremist in rough and tumble fun. So I like how he goes from being a drill instructor, tough as nails, and then he becomes an extremist, but in rough and tumble fun, you know, going back to his wrestling roots. And, you know, it's weird It starts strong and then it ends a little playful. And then we get to the quote. Sergeant Slaughter thinks it's his personal mission to kick the butt of every boot in Pendleton. This guy can drill his trainees into the ground for 72 hours straight before he breaks a sweat. His favorite pastime is marching over the boys' backs while they do finger push-ups in the mud and spewing out brutal verbalities. He has been known to ride his tank through enemy fortresses 
rather than blow them up just because it's more fun. They say he eats nails and spits out dumb dumb bullets. They say he cleans his teeth with barbed wire, brushes his hair with a rat tail file, and shaves with a blowtorch. Everything and everywhere is a battlefield to Sergeant Slaughter. And, you know, this file card is just over the top, just like his personality, um, just like his presence in real life. All I can say is that this thing is full of hyperbole. And if it's not, I don't want to be his dentist or his hairstylist. And now to start the look at the Triple T, the Tag Team Terminator tank, is the structure of the tank. And this one's kind of unique. And I want to point this out because of the many different, let's just say, molds used to create this toy. Um, we start off with the, the green chassis. So this is what I would say everything is based off of. It has spots for the four off-white wheels. And those wheels allow this to move because the light gray tank treads, which snap on over the green chassis and hides, partially hides the off-white wheels, are is one solid piece of plastic. So this isn't like a Mobat or a Mauler with, you know, movable tank treads. This is like a lot of tanks in the G.I. Joe toy line where you have these wheels and these are kind of like a bicycle wheel. This isn't the dumbbell shape, you know, for it to move around on hardwood and carpet and stuff and just in general play. Then you move up top, you have in almost a similar off-white is the main body of the Triple T tank. It is, you know, snaps on over that. And then to finish the Triple T, um, we add on some black plastic guns on each side with some black missiles. And then you have a rear exhaust cover and finish it up with an off-white engine cover. So the reason why I bring this up is because I'm seeing one, two, three, four types of plastic used in this essentially what sometimes I would call a value vehicle because this doesn't have like some G.I. Joe toys would have that model aesthetic like a, again, Mauler or Mobat, but even the Wolverine or the APC, the Vamp. Well, not so much the vamp, but, you know, a finished underside with, you know, the top. But that doesn't take away from the vehicle. It just means when it's upside down, it doesn't look finished. But most of the time, you don't really care about that unless you're building diorama. To get into the tag team Terminator, now that we've built it up, is let's talk about the blueprints and number one on the blueprints is the reinforced intermesh track propulsion system the tank treads and then we have number two the double bogey track supports so the bogey wheels and you know these first two things is just uh yep you pointed them out i like the fact that there's a lot of ample ground clearance in between the tank treads 
And also there is a massive drive bogey at the rear of the triple T tank, but it doesn't point those things out. So that's why I point them out. Next, we go to number three, the forward facing vertical finned intercooler. And that's essentially the front grate or the grill, like a car, leads me to believe that I'm going to be discussing a turbo diesel engine in the rear of the triple T tank. So we go to the four, the raked nylon micro mesh armor. And that's that little front nose. And I would say that even at this point with some of the other toys I've talked about, maybe carbon fiber would be a better choice than plastic. I know carbon fiber is a kind of plastic, but calling this nylon, you know, that's pretty much what the toy is already. We get to the super duty bonded titanium nylon micro mesh armor. And that is pointing to the side of the triple T tank. The, so this tank so far is a composite of nylon and titanium nylon. So this is more leaning towards that carbon fiber, you know, Kevlar. This is coming across as a little bit bulletproof, but not, let's say, tank proof. And as a small tank, it's a personal delivery system for Sergeant Slaughter. So here I am at number five, and I'm not really feeling these descriptions on the blueprints. It's not as over the top to me as the character. Again, why I feel that Sergeant Slaughter overshadows this tank. So we get to the slaughter-sized command seat, you know, the open cockpit. It has minimal detail for webbing on the seat and in front it has the singular joystick and to point out that joystick is commonly broken i would also like to say because it's the same green plastic where the engine tracks snap in the little square snap those also tend to split i've seen on other tag team terminators that i've had in my collection at certain points the slaughter size commandancy is a little oversized and that fits Sergeant Slaughter. So it also means it'll fit just most any O-ring G.I. Joe action figure. Then we get to the power operated turret mounted 30 millimeter cannons. Those are the two little black machine guns that sit on either side, just behind the command seat. And what's really great about that is those become adequate targets to take out the firepower capability, and it's right next to the occupant itself. It is a toy. Um, it is just funny because, you know, the command seat is kind of like a target seat because it's not really armored as well. But, again, it's, you know, this is a toy. It's fantasy. And I'd like to say that the 30-millimeter cannons is a nice size for what they are i think it's logical i think it fits with the triple t looking at it as an adult i can justify where the ammunition is going or feeding from you know where it is stored inside the triple t tank so this is a nice little compact unit 
as these nice little compact machine guns. To me, these accentuate without overpowering. And I will just say this right now. This is a lot of subtlety um, versus, you know, it's subtlety in looks versus, again, the bombastic style with which they introduced Sergeant Slaughter. We move to the automatic cannon stabilization system, which is essentially the machine gun mounts for the 30 millimeter cannons, you know, which they swivel around, you know, facing forward. It could go down about 20 degrees and then turn all the way around back, you know, go past that mark and then go down another 20, you know, 15 to 20 degrees before you're shooting itself at the tag team terminator. And then you get to the MGM 79 heat high explosive anti-tank missile. And that's really good. I like the fact that they got the missiles on each side of this tank. It really gives it a little more firepower because I know I love tons of firepower in my little G.I. Joe toys. And then we get to the AGT 950 horsepower turbine engine. And in bless Hasbro Souls, they really did. They hyped this up to make it a 950 horsepower turbine engine. Thank you for putting an unrealistic horsepower number inside this little tank. Um, this thing should be doing wheelies everywhere it goes. This thing should be setting land speed records and finally something on this tank that is just as absolutely ridiculous as Sarge's description himself. Um, moves me almost to tears. Um, but anyway, this is molded in the same green because it's part of the initial chassis. It doesn't look too much like a turbine engine to me. Inside, it just looks tall and rectangular. It has some nice details for like little bolts and ridges and, you know, like a spark plug or two. But nothing really to completely tell me that you know, what kind of engine this is, but it's 950 horsepower. So it shouldn't look anything like I would recognize in real life. And the other thing too, is as I'm looking into the engine bay, you see the differential for the tank treads, which is kind of odd because a tank should be run with like a skid steer of this size. Essentially each tank tread would be individually powered by the power plant uh, via mechanical or hydromechanical activation. They wouldn't be tied to each other in, like you would say, in the axle of a pickup truck or a rear-wheel drive car, you know, where it is steered up front. But it is nice detail to have. We get down to number 11, the specially hardened engine cover armor. Good. That's that black piece of plastic at the very back. It has some nice venting, which means you can actually see through the slots that are molded into this cover. It has a nice little cover on the back with simulated bolt holes. It nice ridging all around it. It is a nice touch. Gives it almost like that Batman 89 jet 
at the rear of the Batmobile feel. And also to point out, just below it, there is a nice tow hook underneath for it to tow, say, a Hal or a Road Toad or a Coastal Defender. And then finally, the number 12 is the personnel transportation platform. And that's essentially the peg on each side of the Tag Team Terminator. So two Joes can ride along with Sarge as he drives through the Cobra base. Maybe not the best place to be, but you can you can be all you can be in the G.I. Joe Army. And I just want to correct this real quick. The specially hardened engine cover armor is actually the engine cover that covers over the engine. And I just described something that's not on the blueprint, the rear back. But I will say the engine cover does have some nice details for like two maintenance doors and like maybe even a little antenna on top. Um, this piece is also commonly missing. And just to point out, other commonly missing things on the Triple T tank are the two machine guns and the two missiles. Now that I've described the Triple T tank, a couple more things I wanted to point out that we do have some nice Sergeant Slaughter stickers on either side of the command seat and in mine. And on the blueprints, it does show it towards the front where, let's say, his legs would be. You do have some decent decals, the United States flag in the front and the star on the side. All the decals are appropriately sized. You know, they're not going over features of the mold. And it just comes across as a neat little tank with great little details all around, you know, ventings and, you know, little bolt, you know, protrusions. It reminds me a lot of the Hiss tank. Whereas the Hiss tank is, you know, pretty iconic and it is more of a tank vehicle. But the one thing about the Hiss is the name, High Speed Sentry. And the fact that this has that 950 horse turbine motor that's intercooled, this is another high speed tank. The only things I would say are, let's say, a con. In, between, in this matchup would be the open command seat versus the command seat in the Hiss being covered in the fact that the Hiss is a crew of two and this is a crew of one that can carry two occupants. How would I play with this? Well, typically based on the characterization of Sergeant Slaughter and the fact that this did come with Sergeant Slaughter, um, I would have him manning this, and it would be, a, like I said earlier, a tip-of-the-spear-type vehicle. This is He would lead the charge in this. This would be not something sitting in reserve. I don't think the, his personality would accommodate that. And I think that kind of play with this fits well. What do I think about multiples of these? This was available in a mail-away as a with slightly different colors, kind of a mashup between this and the Night Force Night Raider. I guess that means Sergeant Slaughter doesn't need to ride around in it. The Night Raider does show Night Force Outback behind the wheel and doesn't really fit, I think, Outback's profile. But this is a vehicle that in multiples would be like a swarm. 
um, getting troops from point A to point B in as little time as possible across the ground. So this would be an infantry support vehicle at that point. It wouldn't be a troop transport, but it's tall. It doesn't come off really as a stealth vehicle or a sneak attack vehicle based on its description. So this wouldn't be something that they would ride into, let's say, an ambush. So it just kind of fits in like a little weird, like we'll throw use one of these in battle as like a way to get a few people in, like a surgical strike team in the middle of a battle rather than a behind the enemy lines, you know, sneak attack vehicle. I like it. It's kind of like having a sports car in the G.I. Joe tank arsenal. Now, personally, how many do I own? I own one. I have a Knight Raider. I don't have the mail-away Triple T yet. And I'm good with that. I'm not really seeing a lot of use for this other than as the version 2 Sergeant Slaughter delivery vehicle. And I know there's people that play with it otherwise. I know G.I. Joburg famously has used it as a Renegade's vehicle. You know, one for each Renegade. They each have their own custom stickers. That really was a cool way to use this vehicle. I mean, it fits perfectly in with a mobile command center as well. Now, how am I going to rate this on a scale of 0 to 5 950 horsepower turbine engines? The big thing is I feel it is in Sergeant Slaughter's shadow. I think that hurts it from standing out on its own. I think that it is a niche tank, which doesn't really lend itself to a lot of play because you're going to be looking for that niche time to use it. I would say this is, again, uh, for this missile, a three out of five, 950 horsepower turbine engines. Sergeant Slaughter is great. In this Triple T tank, though, I just feel it's just missing that extra pop to really make it stand out on its own as a toy. And that concludes this missile for the masses. I've been your host, Gary, and this has been the Chaplain's Assistance Motorpod. If you really liked or didn't like what you just listened to, feel free to rate, review, like, or uh, respond to any questions like on Spotify, on any of the podcasting platforms that you listen to this on. Doing this helps and improves the podcast and gets it out to new ears. If you want to f- get more Chaplain's Assistance Motorpod, you can find me on social media at Chaplain Joe Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and even the rare YouTube video. The Chaplain's Assistance Motorpod is the strange, but not as strange, nerdy little brother of the pint, a pop culture podcast. And I don't say that because there's a former Cobra agent standing behind my back. And before we sign off, one last missile for everyone. Be decent to each other.